This morning, I want to begin by telling you a story. It's uh, not a real story, but I think it's an instructive story. There was a, a Sunday school teacher, we'll call her Margaret, and Margaret was teaching a group of third graders on a Sunday morning. So they sit down in the Sunday school class, and Margaret says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe something to you, and it, once you realize what I'm describing, I want you to guess it and tell me what it is. She said, okay, so I want to start with this. It's an animal, and it's small. There was no hands. Nobody knew yet what it was. She said, okay, I'll give you another clue. She says, it can run up trees and it has a fuzzy tail. Still no hands with kids. She said, it collects nuts for the winter. And by now she was really sure they would have guessed it, but nobody was raising their hand. And finally she said, well, you know, you've probably seen them in your backyard. And she keeps waiting and she's really disappointed because she felt like these kids were smart, that they knew things, and so she's just disappointed. Finally, there's a one little boy in the back, and he raises his hand. She says, yeah, you, what do you think it is? And here's what he said. He said, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. It was a squirrel. I mean, what else would it be? It was a squirrel. But this story has been told and, and it's been retold because it teaches us a really important lesson. That sometimes when we're in church, we are faced with this really important temptation and we need to hear this really important warning. And that's this. Don't check your brain at the door. See, that little kid was, was eight years old. But he'd already been primed that the answer was always Jesus, even if it was absolutely a squirrel. My, my, my buddy, Danny, years ago told me there's only seven answers in church. He said it's either Jesus, Moses, the Bible, God, tithe, church, or tithe. He said those were your seven, <laughs> those were your seven options. And, and Danny was a little bit of a snarky, cynical guy. That's why he said that. But, but it's often the case that, that we come to church and, and, and we don't engage our brains. Maybe you grew up in a church where it wasn't okay to ask questions. That, that you were supposed to just listen and take it all in and never push back. Or, or maybe you grew up in a church where people weren't supposed to go to college or, or get involved in sciences. Maybe you grew up in a church that was anti-intellectual or a family that just didn't emphasize that. Maybe you grew up in an environment that was all about the heart and the emotions, but not the brains. But it's really important that we don't end up like that little boy. That we don't check our brains at the door, but we fully engage our minds. That if we're being described a squirrel, even if it's in church, it's a squirrel. And this is really important because we're in a series this spring called All of You, Learning to Love God with Our Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. We've been talking about how do we bring all of us into relationship with God. Because Jesus himself said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. To bring all of that into relationship with him. And so each week we've been coming back to this, this central idea of this series that following Jesus requires all of you and it transforms all of you. 
And so we've been walking through this passage piece by piece, talking about how do we love God with all of our heart? How do we love God with all of our soul? Today, we're going to talk about how do we love God with all of our mind. And then next week, you're going to hear about how do you love God with all your strength. But, but as we dive into what the mind means, there in Mark 12, when Mark recorded the words of Jesus, he picked a Greek word because he spoke Greek. And the Greek word that Mark chose is the word sunesis. It's where we get our word synthesis from. And it means a flow of thought, a running together, or mental convergence of ideas. Loving God with your mind means you use that part of yourself where those, those thoughts and ideas merge together. What's interesting is I told you in, in this series that this, this teaching on the great commandment, it appears in multiple books. And in the book of Matthew... Matthew actually uses a different Greek word. He uses the word dionia, which is not to be confused with the bad experience you get sometimes when you travel in certain parts of the world. Dionia, and it's a faculty of understanding or a way of thinking and feeling. Now, you might be wondering, Scott, why are there two different words used for the mind? And the reason why is because Jesus wasn't actually speaking Greek, even though those books were written in Greek. Jesus was speaking a language called Aramaic, which was native to the place where he grew up. And so Matthew and Mark were trying to translate into their language what Jesus said in his native language. And they used Dionia and Sinesis to try to give the full picture of that. So when we talk about loving God with our minds, we're saying, hey, that, that place where we do our greatest thinking, that place where we understand the world, that place where we synthesize all of the thoughts and informations that we have that have come our way, we love God with that part of ourselves. And when we have that part of ourselves kind of, you know, in our focus, here's the question I want us to think about today. Here's the thing I want us to wrestle with. Here's the question I've been kind of mulling over myself as I got ready to preach today. It's our big idea today if you're taking notes. Is your knowledge of God forming you or is it just informing you? Is your knowledge of God forming you? Is it shaping who you are? Is it changing who you are? Is it transforming you or is it just informing you, giving you more knowledge and information? And as we're going to see today, there's a big difference between being informed and being formed. And what Jesus is concerned about is only one of those. If you have your Bible today, I want you to get it out and turn to Mark chapter 12. We'll be there in a little bit, but we're going to kind of be working through a passage. If you were here the first week in the series, we dove into Mark 12 because it's where Jesus gives this great commandment. But we didn't do a whole lot with the context. And I'm a big believer that if you're going to understand the Bible, you have to understand it in context. And so we're going to dive into the context today in Mark 12. So just have it open. We'll get there eventually. We're going to go somewhere else first. But what I want to do today is I want to share with you two warnings and one word of encouragement about loving God with your mind. Because what we're going to see today in this passage is that this is something that I think we often get wrong. We misunderstand it. And so we need to hear some warnings first. If you're taking notes, here's the first warning. Beware of settling for just knowing Scripture rather than seeking to know God. We need to beware of settling for just knowing Scripture rather than seeking to know God. Let me be really clear. I, least of anybody, am against knowing Scripture. 
I'm not bagging on knowing scripture. I'm not saying you shouldn't know scripture. Read the word, just. What I want to warn us today, and I think Jesus warns us of, is stopping with just knowing scripture and not going on to seek to know him. And we see this in the book of John chapter 5. So if, you, if you're in your Bible and you want to leave a finger and mark or put your bookmark there and go to John 5, we're going to see something that Jesus says that I think really sets up where we go today in Mark 12. In John 5, this is what Jesus says. He's speaking to a group called the Pharisees who were religious leaders. He says, the father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time, and you've not seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus is saying that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, have settled for knowing Scripture, and they pour over Scripture because they think by knowing it, they have eternal life. But Jesus says, now I'm here, and I'm the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies in Scripture, and I'm the living embodiment of God. I am God in flesh, and yet you reject me. You think you have life in the book, But when the one who the book speaks to is in front of you and he offers you life, you want nothing to do with him. And and this moment shows us that it's possible to know the Bible and not know God. It's possible to have a lot of the Bible memorized, to not need the index, to not have to sing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know it. You don't need the song. But the win, the ultimate win, is not knowing the Bible. The win is knowing the God who speaks in the Bible. The best illustration I know of this comes from my favorite Christmas movie, Elf. Well, Will Ferrell, you know, screams, Santa, I know him. He's not speaking that he knows facts about Santa, that he has Santa's Wikipedia page memorized. He knows him. If you know the story, he was raised around him. He knows him personally. And when you watch this crazy adult man in tights live in the movie, you're like, this guy has been influenced. He's been formed and transformed by knowing Santa. And that's where we come back to the big question again. Is your knowledge of God forming you, or is it just informing you? Because the Pharisees, it seems, have just been informed by Scripture. They haven't really been formed by God. And that's why again and again in the Scriptures, we see them opposed to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the one that God sent. I'm the one the Scriptures prophesied about. But you reject me, which reveals that you've only been informed. You haven't been formed. And this is a good spot, I think, to address a common myth in the church. I've been in the church my whole life. My dad's been a pastor for almost 41 years. I've been serving in churches for 17 years. I'm not an expert at a lot of things in the world, but I've got lots of experience in church. 
And I've encountered a myth everywhere I've gone. And that myth is that significant knowledge of the Bible indicates spiritual maturity. Oh, that person, they're so mature. Why? Well, they know so much of the Bible. And, and the, the truth is that you could be mature and know lots of the Bible. But one doesn't always guarantee the other. I mean, the scriptures speak that, that even the demons know the Bible. I mean, Satan tempts Jesus, and what does he use? The Bible. It's a myth to say just because a person knows a lot of the Bible, therefore they must be mature and look like Jesus. And I experienced this firsthand. The first church that I served started to work there, and not long after that I was introduced to this couple in the church, and they were kind of like the patriarch and matriarch of the church. They didn't have any titles, but they had lots of power. And they'd been around in the church longer than I'd been alive. So like, okay, you're going to have to deal with these people because they, you know, they're kind of the movers and the shakers. And, and people told me they're so godly. They're so mature. They, they, they know so much of the Bible. But I got to know them, and I'm like, man, they're really manipulative. Or, man, they can be really unkind and harsh to people who don't agree with them. Or, man, they, they seem to really care a lot about power. And then one day, I'd gotten home from church, and I was kind of in that post-church days. It's one of the reasons why if you ever invite me out to lunch on a Sunday, I will probably say no, because I'm kind of a zombie after we get done here. So I was kind of sitting in my easy chair at home like a zombie, and my wife brings me her phone, and I start reading this text exchange. And one of her coworkers, who wasn't a believer, was sitting in a restaurant in a booth, and in the very next booth, they start to hear this conversation, and they hear our names my name and my wife's name. And the conversation begins to be very gossipy, judgmental, and harsh about me and my wife. About the fact that my wife works outside of the home. She's an attorney. About what my wife wears to church. About how that has kept me from advancing in my career. And this couple are not believers and they're getting super angry and they're texting my wife. And what do I do? I'm like, get a selfie. Take a selfie, you know, like, let's see who it is, you know? So, so I, I want to know. And so the, the, the person was really good. They could really sneaky selfie. And it was this couple. And my wife's friends who don't believe in Jesus, don't go to church, they got their food to go. Because they couldn't stand to sit in that booth. And I just went back and I just said, this is a myth. That significant knowledge of the Bible indicates spiritual maturity because they knew so much of the Bible. They knew more than I did. But when push came to shove, it had stopped forming them. It also had stopped searing their consciences because when we confronted them on it, they lied to us and said they didn't say that stuff. Well, I have an eyewitness. And I walked away from that just convicted with something that still is with me today. I mean, I can still just feel this like in my body that day. That loving God with your mind includes, but is much more than just knowledge of the Bible. And so as your pastor, I love you. I care about you. I want to see you grow up into maturity. And I just want to warn you, beware of settling for just knowledge of the Bible. 
when God's intent with the Bible is when we get to know him and be formed by him. That's the first warning. The second warning is this. Beware of bringing an attitude that is opposed to Jesus when you have an opportunity to learn from Jesus. Attitude is everything. It's the reason why two people can be in the same experience and have radically different outcomes. Because they bring with them an openness to learn or a closed-mindedness to learn. It's why you can be in a room like this and one person says, oh, that was amazing. I learned a ton. That person can say, I didn't, learn a, I didn't learn a darn thing. Attitude. And we see this in Mark 12. If you have your Bible, open it to Mark 12. And we're just going to kind of walk through this together. Mark 12, beginning in verse 13, Jesus has this conversation with the Pharisees. And, and they come not looking to learn. They look to trap Jesus. They say to Jesus in Mark 12, 14, teacher, we know you're truthful and you don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. They're buttering him up. When people start complimenting you, just wait. I mean, they may, they may be just actually like you, but they also could be setting you up. And this is what happens here. They say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? They're trying to trick Jesus. If he says yes, then he must be collaborating with the Romans and not be a true devout Jew. If he says no, then the Romans could be listening and boom, swoop in. So what does Jesus say? He says, why are you testing me? He can totally smell it. And he says, bring me a denarius to look at. A denarius was a, was a coin that represented one day's wages. And he says, whose inscription is on this. Who's, whose picture is this? They say, Caesar, the emperor. And then he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Again, they came not looking to learn from Jesus, but to trap him, and they didn't learn a darn thing. But don't worry, there's a different group. The Sadducees, another group of religious leaders, they came and they asked Jesus a question about a wedding. They said, teacher, Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind with no child, that man should take the wife and raise up the offspring for his brother. This is called leveret marriage. For those of you who aren't a fan of your sister-in-law, be grateful you didn't live in this time. <laughs> there were seven brothers. The first married a woman, dying, and left no offspring. The second also took her. He died, leaving no offspring. The third, likewise. None of the seven left offspring. Last of all, the women died too. Now, I have lots of questions. Like, what is wrong with this woman that she, like, killed seven husbands? Like, I have, that's not in the text. I wish it was there. It's on my list of heaven questions. But then Jesus pushes back on them and he's, he says to them, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they are neither married nor are given in marriage. And Jesus directs their question to a different place. Both of these groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, didn't come to Jesus because they thought that he was a good teacher and they could learn from him. They came trying to trap him and trick him with these hypothetical questions. And both of these people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the problem with them is this. They knew God's words, 
but they didn't understand God's ways. They could recite to you what the law and the prophets, Genesis to Malachi, said, but when God started working around them, they were opposed to it. And the prophet Isaiah tells us why. He says this in Isaiah 55. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as high as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What Isaiah is trying to do, carrying out the words of God, is to introduce some humility into us. To recognize that if God really is as big as we think he is, if he really is as big as the scriptures say he is, if he really is that sovereign and that powerful and that holy and that wise, we aren't fully going to understand him. His ways are not going to be our ways. He's able to see things and know things and work things that we can't comprehend. And it's actually faith with humility that leads to maturity. This is why I'm constantly reminding you that there is something in your life right now that you're wrong about. And if you don't think so, essentially what you're saying is you're God and you have perfect knowledge and perfect understanding. There's things I'm wrong about. There's some things I, I preached when I first started preaching 17 years ago that I'm like, ooh, who was that guy? I mean, not that I was teaching heresy. They're just things that I didn't understand as clearly at 20 or 21 that I understand differently at 38. And so even when it comes to my faith, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 says we see through a glass dimly here on earth. But one day we'll see God face to face. So we have to have humility when we're using our mind to love God, to go, you know what? My knowledge is limited, my understanding is limited, and my, my experience is limited. And so I'm always growing in that. And so my faith includes humility. Not coming to God to teach him or trap him, but learn from him. And this is really important because we're stepping into some crazy things in our world. The Bible is really explicit on certain things. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Jesus really was a real person. He really did die. He really did rise again. He really is coming back. But there's lots of things in our world that there isn't a verse for. Like AI. There's not a verse in Habakkuk about HI. So what do we have to do? We have to take the knowledge we have in scripture because there isn't a verse that says thou shalt not use chat GPT. And we have to use wisdom. We have to apply what we know. Loving God with your mind includes both gaining knowledge and developing wisdom. You guys are smart people. You've been around enough. You know, there's some people who know a lot and there's some people who are wise some people who are book smart, some people who are street smart. Some people with lots of degrees, and then some people you would trust your life with. Just because you've gained knowledge doesn't mean that you've applied that knowledge into wisdom. And as followers of Jesus, we're going to have to root ourselves in this book. 
to understand how to live faithfully in this time, but we're also going to have to interpret this book and use our minds because when AI wasn't around then, there's not a, a verse for it, but there's still principles about how to use it. And so loving God with our mind includes both of these And so when we come into relationship with God and we love God with our mind, we need to beware of bringing an attitude that actually allows us to learn as opposed to an attitude that's opposed to God that prevents us from learning. Those are the two warnings. Here's the piece of encouragement. Merging knowledge of God with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit can prepare you to experience God. So when you have knowledge of God, when you've been applying your mind and loving God with your mind, and you've been gaining knowledge of God and his ways through his word, and then your heart is sensitive to to receive the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to work, that can prepare you to actually experience God. And this is where I want to bring your attention back to Mark 12, the passage we read at the beginning of this series. Because there's somebody who comes to Jesus and he actually comes with a sensitive and open heart. Beginning in verse 20, this is what we read. Mark 12. One of the scribes approached. They were responsible for copying down the law. They were the Xerox machines of their day. And he heard them debating. These debates we've covered already. And he saw that Jesus answered them well. And so he asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength And to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw the scribe had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. This man comes to Jesus not trying to trap him or bait him, but with a genuine question. And instead of responding with a question or instead of correcting his understanding, he actually answers his question. The reason why is because this man came with a sensitivity and an openness to learn and Jesus sensed that. And then he says these amazing words. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say that about the first two groups. This man gets that statement. Why is that? Why is this man not far from the kingdom of God? It's because this man understands what Jesus came for and cares about. This man says in verse 33, he says, you don't want and God doesn't want burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, the people in that day were living in a world where what really showed that you were mature and holy was the sacrifices you made and the offerings you gave, the outward visible expressions of your faith, the prayers that you prayed, how long and flowery they were, how much of the Bible you'd memorized. And he says, that's not actually what God cares about. What God cares about is that you love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. This man gets it. 
He understands what God wants. And this message about the kingdom of God was the very first thing that Jesus preached. In Matthew 4, it says, from then on, this is after his temptation, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And for this man, it's come near for him. It's near to him. It's close to him. He's right there. So what does he have to do? If it's near him and he's not yet there, then what remains? It's the first word. Repent. One translation, one Greek word for the word repentance is the word metanoia. It's where we get our our idea of a U-turn from. It's the idea that you're going in the wrong direction. You acknowledge you're going in the wrong direction. You turn around and you go in the right direction. For this man, he knew what God wanted and all that was left for him to do was embrace Jesus and follow him. Was to go, you know what? I have been going the wrong way. I am wrong. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the right direction. It's the same thing you want from the people in your life when they hurt you or disappoint you or break your trust. You don't want to just hear, I'm sorry, or I regret doing that. What do you want to see? Change. I realize I was wrong and now I'm going to live right. And for this man who actually got it, all that was left was for him to embrace Jesus and do that U-turn and begin following Jesus. For that man, he had a choice. Was his knowledge of God going to form him or was it just going to inform him? Because we don't love God with our minds to just gain more information. We love God with our minds to be changed, to be transformed. How do we do that? Well, I've got some next steps for you this morning. And the first one is this. It's to pray daily for wisdom and peace. Now, my friend Danny said there were seven things that are always the answer in church. He forgot one. It's prayer. It's almost always on the list. And some of you are like, Scott, of course you would put pray here. Well, here's the thing. If God's ways are higher than my ways, if God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts, what's the only way that you access them? Prayer. And so we are to pray, not just on Sundays, not just in hard times, but every day for wisdom and peace. The half-brother of Jesus, James, wrote these words. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. What's the prayer that God always wants to answer? God, I don't understand. Would you give me wisdom? Who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. Okay, I guess since you have said it the right way, here's your wisdom. No, God wants to answer this prayer. He wants to give us wisdom. He wants us to come to him. And not just for wisdom, but for peace. Peace is one of the top three things a recent survey revealed that Americans are looking for from their spiritual beliefs. Because there is an epidemic of anxiety in our country. Here's what Philippians 4 says. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but there's stuff that, that happened yesterday and it's going to happen today that's going to attack my mind. It's going to attack your mind. And you need the peace of God to guard it. And how do you access that? Through praying. Number two. Read scripture daily, seeking to be formed, not just informed. 
There was a study that was done uh, a few years ago, and it revealed that less than 35% of all Christians have read all the Bible at some point in their life. We're kind of like we are with our software. On your computer or your phone, when it asks for a software update, we just scroll to the bottom, click agree, and move on. You say, Scott, I believe all the Bible, but you haven't read it all. So how do you know? And so we need to read scripture, not only so we can be informed, but so we can be formed. This is what Paul says in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Because things aren't always clear. You need discernment. And, and just so you're aware, you're going to be formed by something. You're either going to be formed by this world or you're going to be formed by God. And so unless you want to be conformed to this world, you have to be transformed by God. And that comes through reading his word. You're like, Scott, I just want to hear from God. He's already spoken 66 books. Some of us are praying and asking God for him to speak to us. And we haven't even read the things he's already said. Here's the third thing. Third next step. Look for thoughts each day that need to be taken captive. It's been revealed through recent studies that over 70% of our thoughts are the same every single day. And most of those thoughts are not helpful. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You are not a victim of your thoughts. You are not passive when it comes to your thoughts. And you have been given a mind to love God with. And that means you have to take those thoughts captive. And line them up about what you already know the truth of God to be. And then seek to obey God within those thoughts. If you need some help with that, we did a series right in the midst of the chaos of 2020 that speaks to this. It's called Mastermind. You can see a link to it on our website. And I just want to encourage you, don't stop loving God with all that you are. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to us. We thank you that you warn us of the places where we could get off course and you encourage us to come back to what's most important. We thank you that you don't want to just have a relationship with part of us, but with all of us. And we pray that we would be formed by you so that we look like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.